Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Shaleen is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Today's episode of The Shaleen Show is all about bouncing back, being resilient, coming back from a setback even stronger than you were before. I want to start by telling you a true story. This is a story of a man in love with a machine, a motorcycle. He grew up tinkering and repairing motorcycles, and as a young man, he raced motocross and dreamed of being a stunt rider. He learned to ride nearly a mile, pulling up the front wheel in a wheelie, just whizzing in and out of traffic. You can imagine how horrified people in their cars would be as this young guy goes whizzing by on one wheel. He did the kinds of things that only a young man, free of fear and with few responsibilities, might do. Now, eventually, he got married and continued to ride. But shortly after this young couple brought home their first baby from the hospital, they agreed that riding a motorcycle on the streets was probably not a good idea. It was just too dangerous for someone who really fell in love with their first child. It was just too dangerous for two people who wanted to be there for their child. So they agreed that he wouldn't ride again until his child was 18. Well, eventually there were three children, but he kept his promise. And he also kept an aching passion for this two-wheeled machinery. And he kept that passion alive by repairing bikes and tinkering and eventually buying and selling motorcycles. But he missed the thrill of going fast and that adrenaline rush, living on the edge. So instead he did just about anything he could for that heart-pumping adrenaline rush, water skiing, snow skiing, You name it, if there was a thrill involved, if there was an element of danger, he looked for it. But he kept his promise. And when his youngest turned 18, he climbed back on top of the bike. He described what it was like to ride a bike on the streets. And it was so different for him than riding a bike on a trail or on a course or on an enclosed track. He explained that you could hear like white noise, the wind, your bike, all coming together and your mind would try to make sense of it all. It was a combination of fear and exhilaration and total focus, relaxation and pleasure all at the same time. He said it felt like this moment when everything would come together. He described feeling as though you were part of the road. You didn't have to think about your next turn, you could feel it. Yet your awareness becomes heightened. Suddenly, every pothole, every bit of gravel on the side of the road, every car about to pull out, every driver next to you, in front of you, and around you presents an element of danger. You could feel the machine under you and in this zen-like state with your shoulders relaxed and you would glide through the world, a part of it anyways, immersed in total harmony with his bike. But by this time, he had three kids and a grandchild. It was a sunny winter day in Southern California. I was pregnant with my second child, Sierra. The phone rang. I picked it up. Hello, is this Shalene Johnson? And I said, yes, this is. Who is this? And the woman on the other end identified herself as a chaplain at Mission Viejo Hospital. I felt my heart drop. I knew my dad was out for a ride. She explained there had been a terrible accident. And while my father had consciousness... He was able to ask them to call me. And he said, call my oldest daughter. 
Her name is Shaleen. He gave them the phone number, and he gave them instructions. She relayed them to me. She said, Your father has asked that you take care of your mother. He's not conscious now. But you'll need to come to the hospital as soon as possible. Now, because of those words, because the chaplain had explained that my father wanted me to take care of my mother, I felt a calm come over me. That's what he was telling me to do, was to stay calm and to get my mom to the hospital. And no matter what the outcome, whether he lived or didn't, he had asked me to take care of my mother. My mom and dad stay six months out of the year here in Southern California. And a big motivation for that was so my dad could ride during the winter months. The other six months, they lived in Michigan. So I drove to their house and tried to rehearse how I would explain to my mom that there had been an accident, that it was bad, and that we needed to go to Mission Viejo Hospital. I didn't quite know how to explain that to her without giving her false hope, but at the same time, she's a fainter, so I worried she would pass out with the news. I did my best to reassure that there had been an accident and that Dad was at the best trauma unit in Southern California, and God was holding him in his hands, and everything would be okay, Mom. Together, we drove to the hospital, and as we entered the emergency room, the chaplain was there to greet us. My mom's knees buckled. I just remember how every light seemed like it was red and how I just I didn't care about laws. I just needed to get to that hospital as fast as possible. We didn't know really anything about his condition except that it wasn't good. And why else would a chaplain have called? And I tried not to tell my mom that critical piece of information because I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if that meant she was asking us to come to the hospital to identify his body. I knew that he was alive, but what did that mean? Why was a chaplain calling us? And I knew if I told my mom that, she would probably pass out in the seat next to me. I just drove as fast as I possibly could. And and I remember circling around in the parking lot, trying to find a parking spot to go into the emergency room entrance. And as traumatized as I was in that moment, I remember thinking, Why isn't there free emergency valet parking? I'll leave that for another episode. We find a spot. My mom is just as white as a ghost. Two sets of giant automatic doors open simultaneously into the waiting area of the emergency room. And I remember looking at the end of that long hospital corridor and seeing this very petite woman. She had a white collar on, and I knew that was the hospital's chaplain. And the look in her eyes just immediately made me start crying. She took us into a special room where she sat us both down. And by this point, I was holding my mom up. I knew she was just breaths away from passing out. She delivered the news to us that there had been a very traumatic motorcycle accident. And that my father was unconscious and that he was going into the first of many surgeries. His time in the hospital there was difficult. We spent weeks and weeks at his bedside. 
He had multiple broken ribs, punctured lung, broken wrist, broken arm, broken collarbone, and his leg had virtually been severed in the accident, which the doctors tried to repair meticulously in surgery after surgery. But after a number of attempts, it was very clear that they weren't going to be able to save his leg. So here we were in the hospital with my father facing amputation, which eventually he had to make that decision himself. He had to give the doctor's approval to remove his leg. And he's such an optimist. I just remember he he had us bring in every possible expert we could think of. And he had us searching on the internet and trying to find any expert who could find a way for this leg to regenerate those tendons and arteries and everything that had been blown to smithereens by a vehicle that hit him broadside. The veins and arteries that supply blood flow to the limb just couldn't be repaired. And we brought in one expert who said to my dad just as honestly as he could. He laid his hand on his arm and he said, Bill, I'm sorry, bud. You've got about a one in a million chance of being able to keep this leg. The doctor walked out and I'll just never forget my dad looking at at me and my mom and saying, did you hear that? He said, there's a chance. But eventually the morphine started to wear off and reality started to set in and he had to make the ultimate decision to save his life by amputating the leg. And that glimmer of optimism that seemed almost laughable at the moment when my dad believed that a one in a million chance meant that there was a chance it gave him hope. It's that optimism that helped him to bounce back from the setback. Today's episode is dedicated to my dad. Dad, you are the coolest and one of the most resilient people I've ever met. Because he had to deal with a major life setback, and so do you. We all do. So I want to give you some advice today, advice that I think is going to help you gain some perspective, because we're all going to have setbacks, every one of us, some more traumatic, some more powerfully painful than others, but we're all going to have setbacks. Certain things are just inevitable. The sun is going to set tonight, and it's going to rise tomorrow. Someone you trust is going to betray your trust. There are going to be people in your life who you adore and no matter what you do, they're going to be there for you and they're gonna love you. And there will also be those people who you will never receive their approval. There will be accidents, there will be unexpected illness, there will be untimely death, there will be unexplained sorrow and pain and hardship. And some of these things just defy reason. That plan you've put together to avoid pain, to avoid hardship, to avoid an accident, just as my father had. Those things that you've put together will fall apart. It's called life. And these are the kind of things that you you just can't control. Now, granted, there are things that we can control, like you you can control what time you woke up in the morning, if you're going to exercise, what you're going to eat, who you decide to spend time with, but rarely are we able to really control the outcome, the outcome of life. So before I go much further, let's identify those things that you do have control over, okay? So that you know where you can spend your energy trying to control things. Here they are, and there's not many of them. You can control your own behavior. Yes, you can. And you can control your attitude. You can decide with whom you want to spend your extra time with. You can decide what type of treatment you'll accept and what is unacceptable. You can decide to be the bigger person. You have control 
over whether you want to forgive someone or not. You can just decide to do that. You can control your emotions. Now, before you disagree and go, Shalene, sometimes I am just too upset. I can't control myself and I just lose it and I can't help it. I end up screaming at my husband or screaming at my kids. I'm going to tell you you're wrong. You actually can control that. You've just decided not to. Control simply means that you have the ability to do certain things a certain way. And certainly we both know that if you were in the middle of a screaming fit with your husband or your kids or whoever, and then you found out that Oprah was at the front door or Beyonce or Shanti or the president or whoever, you would pull yourself together. Which means, my friends, you can control yourself. But other than that, there's not much else you actually have ultimate control over. Now, you certainly have the ability to do things in such a way that you can predict a better outcome, but ultimately, you can't control it. So today, I want to share with you some tips so that you can handle life's setbacks, and there's going to be more of them. Two things you need to understand to survive major setbacks. Number one, it's not personal. You can't make it personal. So stop feeling sorry for yourself. There is no positive that comes from feeling sorry for yourself. All that it does is make things worse. Being wrapped up in your own self-pity will completely spoil any chance of you being able to see real possibilities, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, to have hope. And in fact, when you feel sorry for yourself, you repel people from you. You repel the kind of people from you that you need during these times. And the only thing that grows when we feel sorry for ourselves is our own inner bitterness. Anytime you embrace that dark inner state that like, this always happens to me, the world is conspiring against me, there must be something wrong with me, everyone comes down on me, everybody walks on me, bad things only happen to me. When you believe those things, guess what you attract to you? More of that. It's a mentality that brings more of that to you. It's the laws of attraction and what you tend to attract then is more tragedy. So when you hold on to that feeling sorry for yourself, when you hold that in your heart and in your mind, you nearly ensure that you will be stuck and experience more of it. Feeling sorry for yourself is like slowly poisoning yourself. It corrupts and it consumes you and eventually it just becomes useless emotion. But number two is, do acknowledge the pain of a setback. See, to pretend that it doesn't upset you, to pretend that it's no big deal, to pretend that it's not emotional, that it's not something that you feel grief or pain or shame or sadness over, is to push those feelings down, which will surface again at some point when it's least convenient. So acknowledge the pain. When we're faced with something painful, our first response is often to try to like pretend it, we didn't feel it, it doesn't upset us, and we want to put on a brave face so that we don't seem like we're weak or like we're struggling. Sometimes we're more concerned with how others see us than we are our own well-being. And I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I love to have a positive outlook on things. I like to celebrate when there's a failure because I know that means it's going to be better next time or... And it reminds me of a story I once heard of a man who brought his wife a bottle of champagne home because he had heard that she'd been laid off from her job. It sounds like something I would do. Just let's be positive and celebrate all of the new opportunities and doors that are opening. But in doing so, if you're telling yourself or someone else not to feel sad, not to grieve, even though you might be excited about the opportunities, 
the new changes, the way that you're going to build yourself up from this fall. Yes, those things are exciting, but you have to give yourself a moment to grieve the loss. There's just too much pressure sometimes to get over it. Now, how much time you should allow yourself to grieve, that's up to you. I don't think you need to rush past your feelings. You need to feel them, move through them, and then get over it. And number three is don't let your failure or your trauma or your setback define you. That's not what makes you important. That's not what makes you lovable. That's not even what makes you interesting. And the reason why I say that is so many people have identified themselves as victims, almost excited to find out that they have a life-threatening illness. Or have you ever met someone who almost seems excited to find out that they have cancer? I know that sounds strange, but we all know someone who's suddenly comes alive because people are giving them attention and showering them with love and praise. And, and when you do that, you begin to define yourself. You begin to find purpose and find value because of your trauma and your setback. It becomes almost a happy time because for the first time, perhaps, you're really recognizing that people pay attention and they're taking an interest, and they're expressing their love and care, perhaps love and care that they've always had, but maybe in the past, you didn't feel it or accept it. And so then what happens once you work through this trauma or setback, anyone else would be happy and excited and, and grateful to be through this experience. You'll feel sad and disappointed and depressed, and it just won't make sense to you. And it might be really difficult to understand why it is you feel this way. And that becomes really confusing. So never let a trauma or a setback define you. And next, find a confidant, someone who's great at listening. I think too often when we have a trauma or something just horrific happened to us, and it doesn't have to be an accident, it could be someone who betrays you. And that's incredibly traumatic. To talk to everybody about it just reopens the wound. And it becomes gossip. It becomes more hurtful than helpful. So find a confidant, someone who you can listen to, someone who won't placate to your inner self-pity party, but they will listen and empathize, but keep you accountable to move forward. And the next step is three hours. Review, reflect, and readjust. No matter what happened, whether it was an accident, someone betrayed you, an unexpected illness, getting laid off from your job, the first thing you have to do is review what happened. Reflect on it. Where were your expectations unrealistic? Were you too trusting? Did you ignore your gut instinct? Did you expect too much? Had you asked for too little? What can or should you have done differently? Not that it does any good to blame yourself or anyone else, but it's important to reflect and review on this. How much of this was just a matter of circumstances and what, if anything, could have been avoided? And the third R is to readjust. Do you need to lower your expectations? Do you need to change the way you operate, the way you view people, the way you trust, the way you, or the way you deal with setbacks in the future? And the last and final step is to create an action plan. Nothing makes the human spirit come alive more than action. So you have to ask yourself today, what do I need to do next? And if you don't know, then take action to find out. Go online, Google it, find other people who have dealt with this exact trauma. Find a support group, get therapy, because in some way, shape, or form, all tragedy, all pain, all circumstances, all setbacks have been brought to us to make us better, to make us stronger. It's all part of God's plan. 
So take action on that. Declare yourself resilient. What does it mean to be resilient? It's a quality that allows people to be knocked down and come back stronger than ever. My dad is stronger than ever. That was 15 years ago. Does he still ride? Yeah, he does. And I support it. It makes him so happy. It makes him come alive. If my dad's going to die, I want him to die doing the thing that fills him with joy and happiness. And he stayed off that bike for the 18 years of our lives. He made the ultimate sacrifice. I want him to enjoy his life to the fullest. And I can tell you, he wouldn't do it if he didn't have my mom's reluctant blessings. She knows that gives him more joy than anything. But he does it differently now. Rather than letting failure overcome you, allow it to build up your resolve. Find a way to rise above. Psychologists have identified some of the factors that make a person resilient, and here's what they include. Having a positive attitude. Optimism. The ability to know you can control your emotions. To see failure as a form of feedback. Resilient people, after the misfortune, after the trauma, realize that they've been blessed. They take it as a sign to change course and soldier on. So don't waste another minute of your precious life wondering why these things happen. Forget about it. Resilience is about staying in the game. It's about getting knocked over and building yourself back up to be stronger. It's deciding what you want the final outcome to be, realizing you have control. You have the ability to control your attitude and how you respond to it. I ask you to realize that every setback has served to make you better. So if this message was incredibly timely for you, I want you to follow these steps. It's time to make an important decision about what you need to do next, to take action. It's time to reset. It's time to start anew. It's the most powerful behavioral habit you can form. It's time to reset and accept what's happened and then to commit to move forward. Don't live in the past. Take the past for what it taught you, but move forward. Wake up every day and know that your life is just going to get better. Your whole life is ahead of you. You have a chance right now, this very moment, to change your mindset, to change your attitude, to change your outlook and start fresh. Nothing that's happened in the past is preventing you from creating the future life that you deserve. So reset, become resilient, start anew and move forward. Because you know what? You can do anything. This episode has been sponsored by CourageousConfidenceClub.com. It's a club that I've created specifically to help people who struggle with confidence and insecurities and social settings and, and just standing up for themselves, being yourself and feeling good about it. All of us could benefit from having more confidence. I'd love for you to just experience a taste of it. So please be my guest by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash confidence tips. Now, if you don't feel like writing that web address down or remembering to go there later, all you have to do is, while you're listening from your phone, send me a text message. The number is 949-565-4337, and that is for U.S. residents. Then just send me the word confidence, and I will send you access to this video. This video will help you to eliminate self-doubt and just 
feel more confident in any situation, whether it's work or personal or just your social interactions. Every one of us can benefit from having more confidence. There you'll submit your email address and I will immediately send to your inbox my latest training video where I teach you step-by-step how to feel more confident in just about any social setting. I think you'll find this incredibly useful, whether it's business or personal or just in your everyday interactions. Confidence is something that makes life easier. It helps you to raise more confident, self-efficient children. It allows us to speak our mind, to stand up for ourselves, to do the things that otherwise we are paralyzed by fear and we just allow our own thoughts to stop us. By learning how to overcome self-doubt and fear of success, you can become that confident person that others are attracted to. The person you want to be, the person you deserve to be, the person you know is inside of you. So thank you for checking out my free tools by going to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash confidence tips.